Uh, this panel is really exciting. I'm really excited to be listening in on this because uh, we're going to be talking about uh, raising capital and private equity and operating businesses. Uh, we're going to be hearing investor success stories and we're going to be hearing from five teams who have been able to raise over $10 million uh, recently for their operating businesses uh, and for uh, their private equity deals. So if we could please bring up our panel moderator and our panelists, please. Fantastic. So uh, once again, if uh, those of you that are new members with us, if you haven't had a chance yet, uh, make sure to reach out to Jennifer at familyoffices.com. She can get you set up with your online account and she can also uh, assist you with any other of our member benefits that you have access to, which also include uh, getting the email addresses and contact details for investors that you've seen on our stage that you feel are relevant to your offering. Uh, so once again, uh, who's our moderator here today? Fantastic. Peter, thank you so much. Everybody, round of applause for our moderator and our panelists. Hey, good morning. If we could have that round of applause when we're done, we'll be very happy. Um, uh, exciting to be here. I have to say it's the first time I've been on a panel where the number of panelists exceeds the number of people in the room, but we're, you know, we're very pleased to do this. I'd like everybody to brief introduce themselves and what they do, starting at the end, Fred Levinson. Now we know it works. Uh, I'm a partner at McDermott, Will & Emery, an international law firm with 1,200 lawyers. I run the private equity group. Um, and I've been with the firm for 14 years, and we represent private equity firms and family offices all over the world. Uh, Ryan Urich, uh, Record Capital. Record Capital is a real estate investment, investment uh, advisory uh, firm backed by three family offices in the Houston area. Um, we, we invest on two platforms, uh, the fund management platform where we sponsor value add uh, office, industrial, retail, medical, um, and then our direct advisory business where we advise clients that want to build out a portfolio, wholly owned, don't want to be in a fund, uh, 1031 exchange, things, things of that nature. Um, and so that's how we, we execute those. I'm uh, Patrick Hagan with Strata Trust Company. We custody alternative investments for individual retirement accounts. People take their IRA and 401k and come to us to invest in private equity, convertible debt, uh, real estate, precious metals. Basically what we do is we custody investments that are challenging to place with a brokerage firm. Uh, most of the big box brokerage firms will hold publicly traded equities, but they won't hold private placements or anything that doesn't have a ticker symbol. So that's what we focus on. Uh, it's a transactional service, kind of a need-based service, but for anybody raising capital, there's about $8 trillion in retirement funds just in IRAs alone, not including pensions and qualified plans. Most of that is not invested in alternatives uh, because most people don't realize that's an option. So I'm with uh, Strata Trust. Look forward to the panel. Thanks. Hey, my name is Tim Blair. I'm with a group called Shannon Walcheck. We are a commercial real estate firm, and we buy, um, we buy stabilized assets in affluent neighborhoods. Uh, more specifically, we buy unanchored strip centers with service-oriented tenants like nail salons, doctors, restaurants, stuff like that. And we have found um, uh, that when we buy these things in the right places, 
they just tend to stay full. It's affluence and density is, is our formula. Hi, my name is Steve Schmidt. I'm a partner at Modem Investment Holdings. Admodem is a private equity holding group uh, based out of Chicago. We have three investments today, uh, hedge funds as well as an investment advisory business and a healthcare technology company. Uh, basically, we're focused on companies that have EBITDA of two to three million or more. Uh, we're kind of agnostic when it comes to an industry. Thank you. Hi, my name is Andres Sevilla. I um, funded and uh, uh, manage uh, Paragon Property Investments. We buy property, buy commercial property, stabilize and sell that property to funds, um, insurance companies, uh, private investors. And we have lately been uh, getting into syndicating uh, part of the, of, uh, the stabilized um, properties to um, funds and, uh, and private uh, family office. Thank you. Hi, I'm Michael Scott, founder and CEO of Cannapreneur Partners, the exciting explosive world of cannabis private investing. Uh, what we do as a holding company is we strategically partner with operational outliers, so specifically uh, operators that are entrepreneurs in the cannabis space and we invest our own dollars into the deals, and then we also bring our investor dollars in alongside. The investors are typically uh, ultra high net worth investors, family offices, private equity groups. Um, they're looking to get into the space, and they're typically looking for advice um, in getting into the space. <clears throat> Thank you, panel. Uh, my name is Peter Kaufman. I'm uh, an investment banker, president, and head of restructuring distressed M&A at Gordian Group in, in New York. We do three things for private equity firms and family offices. Number one, we have alternative investment opportunities today, mostly in life sciences and healthcare. Number two, we advise family offices and PE firms on how to acquire distressed assets as quickly and as cheaply as possible. And number three, even in the best of families and private equity and family offices, portfolio companies or investments hit a capital structure pothole and when you spring a leak, it's nice to know the world's best plumber. We're the world's best plumber, primarily because we don't ever advise financial creditors, so we're the only ones that'll give unconflicted advice about how to advise your troubled investments and slide value from creditors to shareholders. Uh, what's made the difference in your ability to raise the 10 million plus over the last year versus other funds or companies you've tried raising capital funds, uh, capital in the past? And I'd like each of Ryan, Michael, and Andres to answer that. I'll go first. Um, so, so Rycor, we started Rycor earlier this year um, and, and really just taken um, a pretty deep track record in investing in real estate. Um, and really the approach we looked at is, you know, how do you raise money the most efficient way? Um, and, and through my experience, you, you tend to see investors have more of a herding mentality, right? They want to invest with people they know and trust, other families and whatnot. So um, our model is um, three family offices put up a majority of the equity in each of our deals, and then we go and raise LP um, equity for our value-add uh, opportunities. And really what this has done in the last 60, 90 days, we've closed about $40 million worth of property, uh, raised about $14 million of equity, financed the rest. Half of that came from the family offices I represent. Um, the other half came from 25 uh, LPs, and, and really that sales process, 
was a two to four week process because when you're going to someone saying, hey, we're raising 14 million, but day one, seven million is already committed, the, the sales piece is, is a lot easier. And so I think, I think um, again, going back to, you know, people like to invest with, with other people um, and then having three family offices kind of seed each deal has really been a, a great factor for us. I would say for us is tenacity. You know, if you're going to raise money for a startup, uh, I think in any industry, it, it's a marathon and not a sprint. And it's a challenge uh, to, to raise capital, to get people to believe in a vision. And so the analogy I often use is if, if raising capital and launching a business in this first year is success, then in cannabis, trying to do the same thing is like trying to run that same marathon up a mountain in the ice and a certain percentage of the demographic is going to judge you for running that marathon. So, so it's definitely ch challenging. So I think for us it was increased emotional intelligence, um, sheer tenacity and uh, accepting. And I think in cannabis, you know, medical was what motivated us to get in, although we're on both sides of the space. And what I would say is just, just absolute tenacity. You have to expect and embrace the obstacles that will come with cannabis. Well, I think uh, for uh, in order to raise funds, you have to believe 100% uh, on the project. The project needs to be well explained. Um, if you don't believe 100% on the project, if you don't have clear um, strategies on the project and you're not passionate about it, um, you should think twice about going and seeking funding. All right, uh, next question is for Tim. Could you please tell everybody as clearly and specifically as you can, what, are you look, what, what types of deals, investment deals, funds, you're looking to source by being here today? Yeah, we have a very defined kind of niche strategy. Uh, it's not all things for all people. It's not value add. It's not a hit and hope home run. It's a risk mitigation strategy around capital preservation, and it has its place in a portfolio. Nothing more, nothing less, but it has its place. And so what we have found, what I have found, is simply the ability to find the right equity and match it with what we've got going on. That has been the key, is just an understanding and a matching of expectations and our ability to deliver. Because at the core, it really is it's a partnership. And it's got to work both ways. And so the ability to communicate both ways has been fundamental to our success. Uh, next one's for Steve. When, when you speak to folks at an event like this, what do you think most are missing from their investor relations processes or offerings? Where do you feel like there's a big gap for those who are struggling to make progress with investors? Um, I would probably say the biggest gap is that they're, well, don't take this wrong, gentlemen, but too involved with the project and not involved with enough risk mitigation and explain the risks that are involved, uh, being prepared with, you know, the tough questions, if you will, um, you know, making sure you can articulate and show what skin you have in the game. Uh, it's nice to take other people's money, but it's also important that you have your own money in it as well. So I think those are the biggest things I could advise people on today and what we look for in a deal. Thanks, Steve. Uh, Patrick Hagan, most high net worth individuals have qualified funds, IRA, 401ks, etc., but very few invest in alternative assets with their retirement account. Why is that and what should they be thinking about? I think the biggest stumbling block is awareness. Uh, most of the IRA custodians that exist are brokerage firms. 
And uh, these firms are obviously high-powered firms with big marketing dollars, so they promote what they do. And most brokerage firms won't hold private equity or other alternative investments. So if you take like a Schwab or a, a Fidelity or a Vanguard, they, they won't hold this asset class, so they don't promote it, so people don't know it exists. So for roughly 45 years, you've been told if you have an IRA, you have a 401k, you invest in publicly traded stocks, bonds, and mutual funds. Well, you can do that, but you can also take some of that money it over to a self-directed IRA and put it into private equity, convertible debt, or any other alternative investing. So uh, from our standpoint, our biggest stumbling block is awareness and letting the individual investor know that they have options non-correlated outside of the market into alternative investments. Just to add to that comment, I find you know it really is about awareness. A lot of investors will have dollars in IRA custodians, and they really don't they can't access or invest dollars in cannabis in 95% of the custodians out there, but it's one of the hottest investments up and coming right now. So I think knowing if your custodian has that availability is a nice feature for direct investments. <clears throat> okay, well, investor success stories can come in many flavors and shapes. Fred Levinson, what should these folks do to protect their investments when they hit uh, a capital structure or, or a liquidity pothole? The first thing to do is call, call you, Peter. But after that, depending upon you know, what, what's happening either with your investment or your capital structure, is really depending upon who you are and where, and where you sit. So if you're an investor, you hold the asset, you, know, you really have to look at and analyze you know, what, what's, what's your benefit, what's your risk, what's your reward, and how, how do you really go about restructuring or shedding the asset. And, there, and there's a number of um, things to consider, whether it's a hard asset, what do you do if it's a company, what do you do? How do you deal with management? How do you deal with your lenders? How do you negotiate with your lenders? And, and in all fairness, you know, Pete, Peter and I have done this you know, several times where a company or an asset you know, have gotten in extreme trouble. And it's good company, good asset, broken balance sheet. And you really have to go up and down the capital stack and figure out how you're going to deal with the different constituencies within the capital stack. Deal with management, if there is management. And, and really what, what the strategy is to either re 